Yeah, I mean, hopefully Becca learns how to use a computer here soon. Um, you know, welcome back to the base where we are still learning what gigabytes mean. I am your host, Fred Curtis, along with our co-host, uh, political strategist, immigration attorney, Becca Nyberg. Becca, uh, have you learned how to how to use your computer yet? Nope. Okay. Not at all. No. Uh, it just, it's, you know, I'm supposed to turn it on and it's supposed to work. And it's a good thing we don't record these lives since we're, what, 20 minutes late because I have computer issues. It's, it's fine. It's fine. fine. What is time? Time is a, is a man-made construct that only Westerners really care about. So, you know, what is it? Um, speaking of Westerners, today we've got a, a sort of straight to the point show. We're going to talk a little bit about Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's recent uh, video and her account of uh, what took place in the Capitol on 1-6. Um, we're going to dive also into, in lieu of, uh, you know, the Congresswoman's experience and many other members of Congress, um, you know, what is the future of the Republican Party and really what what do they want to be, but then also what might they need to become uh, in order to win future, you know, sort of presidential elections, definitely, but other statewide. So we'll dive into that a little bit. Um, and then I've got some weekend digest. Hopefully Becca has a weekend digest. We're going to introduce a little something new here to help you all get um, maybe a little more insight into uh, our lives. And, you know, hopefully we can tie it back to the political process as it goes along. At least I know mine does. Uh, so anyway, um, Becca, I know you had, you mentioned, you know, um, you know, the con Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's video about just the, the, the horrors uh, that took place uh, in the Capitol on January 6th and just how, um, you know, fearful of their lives, you know, members of Congress actually were. Uh, I was always under the thought process on that day that um, what was taking place was actually more uh, dangerous and more violent than what cable news networks were um, showing. That turned out to be the case. My perceptions there weren't just based off assumption. Um, there were a lot of links, especially on white right wing, uh, you know, websites and, and chat boards that those links were open. And so you could click on those and you could see what was actually happening in the Capitol. And so it was it was much worse um, than it actually was. But she gave a firsthand account of a lot of those things. I won't go into detail, but, um, you know, I just want to sort of get your insight on that. And, and you know, in lieu of the current impeachment trial, second impeachment trial of the former president, you know, I guess, you know, what, court, what sort of precedent does this set? And, and you know, what do we take away from, um, from, you know, the accounts that she so uh, heroically shared with us? So I'm going to totally just reveal you right now. So Fred has not watched this video. Um, it, is, <laughs> it is 90 minutes long. I did watch it. Um, and I think it is important to go through it a little bit for people who did not make it through the whole 90 minutes, which regardless of how important you may find the message, 90 minutes is a long time to sit there and watch an Instagram video. It's a feature um, film. I mean. it's, it's actually, it's very poignant. It's very, you and know, I, she mentioned, you I just want to make it clear that I, I'm not in any way making, making fun of what she. Oh, no, 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 not at all. No, no. I poked fun at like 90 minutes being what a feature film is, but definitely not what she talked about. I want to make that clear. Well, I mean, in some respects, it is an action film, which is a terrible thing to be able to to be able to say, because we shouldn't be having that level of action and excitement within the Capitol walls. 
it just, those things shouldn't be happening in the cap. I mean, in any, really in anybody's workspace, right? And thus you are, I don't know, somebody in a dangerous profession anyway. Anybody who sits at a desk all day should not have the experiences that anybody would want to feature in a 90 length and 90 minute length. Absolutely. And, you know, originally when it came out, you know, it was, you know, oh, they're at the gates and they're coming in. And I'm not sure that we did realize how close they were getting, you know, part of her, her video explains how she's hiding in a bathroom with one of these invaders in her office demanding to, where is she? Where is she to her staff? That's unbelievable to me that somebody with the intent to do harm, you know, cause he wasn't there for, you know, tea and scones and a quick chat. Um, somebody intending to do harm got that close to a congressperson, regardless of their political persuasion, you know, one way or the other, whether you or I agree with them, what, you know, we can all choose our least favorite representative. <laughs> I couldn't imagine barging into their office, demanding to see them, um, anything along those lines, um, which we could also talk about misogyny and white um, supremacy working in there too, white privilege. But, you know, I think that's, that's a matter maybe for another day. But, you know, it was a very harrowing tale. And it was told by a woman who very clearly had gone through trauma, very clearly was relating things actually much more cogently than a trauma survivor usually would. But as a trauma survivor, um, she also reveals in that video that she had been previously assaulted. Um, and that's going to play into her trauma as well. That means that, you know, what's happening is that much more intense because she's already undergone trauma. Um, side note, not that I ever wish anybody trauma, but I'm so happy to have anybody in there who understands trauma. The way that she was talking about trauma is very important to, you know, to have somebody who's making laws that understands that. And like I said, I, you know, it's not that I'm glad that she went through it, but I'm glad she has that perspective since she did go through it and that we have her as a representative as a result, because as we're crafting laws, we need that perspective in there. The, you know, a bunch of white men who have never had to go through sexual assault, never had to be discriminated against. These are not the people that are going to be making laws for everybody. And we can't expect them to be, truthfully. Anyway, side, side, side rant. Um, but yeah, so she went through and she told of her trauma. And, you know, I wanted to talk about a couple of things in this. You know, I did want to briefly recap what she went through or what she talked about in case anybody hadn't listened to the whole thing. But there are a couple of things that, that struck me. You know, first, I'm so glad that she is there sharing that perspective um, as somebody who's gone through that and understands the, the inherent drawbacks of the system. But I also wanted to talk about the reaction of people. Um, I would say by and large, every woman who I've heard of that watches it cried mm -hmm. at some point during that. Um, because we totally got it. You know, yeah, we haven't been in our office with, you know, who knows who banging on the door, but we've all been through that trauma. And the vulnerability that she showed is something that every, I would, I would think every woman, you know, I hate to speak that broadly for anybody, but I would think any woman would be able to relate to because we've all been there um, at some point in our lives, you know, in some respect or another. 
And the response that I've seen from men has not been so homogenous and has not been so supportive. And, you know, I know that there are, you know, right-wing women that are making fun of her as well about being a crybaby or, you know, whatever else it is, overreacting. Um, You know, I haven't seen the women doing it. I've only seen a couple of men doing it. Um, And I'll tell you, you know, this is, this is on Facebook. So these are people I know personally, I lost a lot of respect. You know, it, you know, I'm thinking about one person in particular who just likes to kind of stoke the fire no matter where he can, you know, poke and prod and whatever. But I'll tell you, you are no longer a person that I can disclose anything to. I am now not safe around you. And not you, Fred, but (laughs) that person who's going to remain nameless because, you know, it's, I think it's more ignorance than anything. But you know, you become unsafe for people and you think it's funny. You think she's overreacting. You're poking fun. It's a politician. It's political. It stopped being political. I would have had the same reaction had it been, you know, name your favorite conservative woman. I know Sarah Palin. Um, I'm showing my age again, aren't I? Um, hanging out. 13 years ago. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I know, and I'm thinking of the woman that's gotten a lot of heat this week, and I can't remember her name. Marjorie Taylor Greene. There you go. I'm like, she has three names. I just don't remember any of the three of them. (laughs) Right. Even if it had been her, you know, she's spouting, what, space lasers and all sorts of strange things. (laughs) Right. Um, You know, even if it was, you know, that person who I would say is probably literally the other end of the ideological spectrum, um, from what we're talking about, it, it doesn't matter. This wasn't about politics. This isn't political. This is a female experience now. Um, I would also say it's probably a woman of color thing too, although, you know, as not a woman of color, I can't really speak to that, but I would imagine that probably plays into it as well because she's, you know, probably had, um, as many people of color have had increased trauma because she isn't white. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's no longer political. I don't care if she holds a political office, it's not political. And it's really a sad commentary that we have stooped so low as a nation that this has become okay. Um, this has become, you know, oh, we just, we make fun of politicians for everything. Yeah. Um, you know, all of, all of that kind of thing without recognizing when it has crossed that line. So, I mean, I guess that's, that's my rant for the day, which also plays into, you know, how do you, what do you do if you're a Republican? I mean, how, and she's, and, you know, AOC says this in her video, how am I supposed to work with the people who just tried to kill me? You know, how am I supposed to trust them? How am I supposed to, you know, have any sort of working relationship with somebody with that degree of violence and hostility that they've expressed for me? Because, you know, I'm, I'm sure Fred's been in, in these buildings. It's not easy to find a representative's office. These no. buildings are mazes. So the fact that this invader gets in, gets to her office, bang, 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 Absolutely. there's help from the inside there. Absolutely. And I don't know who on the inside. I don't know if it's, you know, an elected person. I don't know if it's staff people, you know, 
work other workers there. I don't know who it is, probably a combination of all three, but it was too fast. It, they got to the right places too quickly mm-hmm. for it not to have some sort of insight. So she's exactly right. Who am I supposed to trust? Because I don't know. You know, was it Ted Cruz that was giving out information? Was it, you know, a staffer in somebody else's? We don't know. And I, I mentioned Ted Cruz because she clapped back to him on Twitter for saying something about, you know, let's work together. And she clapped back and said, how am I supposed to work with you when you just tried to have me killed? Get out of here. No, sir. Um, you know, so, but that's exactly it is how, how do you move forward as a Republican party? Can you move forward as a Republican party? Do you split off and you leave that radical right fringe? Because I can't imagine that everybody in the Republican party is sitting there being like, bravo, well done. Thank you for trying to commit sedition. Thank you for trying to overthrow. It's, it's not happening. So what, what is happening and, and you know, where, where do they go? Do they oust those people, you know, as has been called for, which I don't find incredibly inappropriate, you know, (laughs) to oust out people who are trying to overthrow the government they're a part of, you know, but how do you, how do you go from there? What do you do from there as a party? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the trillion dollar question on, on a variety of fronts. I, you know, you, you bring up a really good point, which I haven't heard brought up as much in the mainstream media as I would like. And that is that, again, I've, I worked uh, on the Hill for a year uh, in the Cannon office building. Um, and I would routinely uh, go to the you know main house chambers or other buildings to pick up things, deliver, doc, whatever. Uh, in the 11th and 12th months that I worked on the Hill, I was still getting lost from time to time. I still needed to ask, where's this person's office? What floor is that? I mean, it, like you said, if you know how it's arranged, it's not always, uh, there's not always common sense that went into engineering. Like sometimes you're on the third floor and it's not actually the third floor. And you've got dashes in certain rooms and it's just, it's wild. Uh, as many state capitals are, Maryland state capitals is, is similar to that anyway. So, so that is one of the one of the larger. There's no way this happened without someone or someone's. That's not a word, but whatever from inside uh, who provided information, maps, whatever it is. So I think that's a quality point. Um, I think it only is right for me to not comment on the video because I haven't seen it, um, and I do not want to do her sentiments or any other sentiments injustice. What I will say is that I do think, and this is coming. As a student of history, um, up to this point, and by this point, I mean, you know, maybe since October, November, since the election, um, I, I never bought into the idea that uh, America was more divided than it's ever been. You know, if you're a student of history, you know, there have been times where America was divided, equally divided, sometimes more divided. There was this thing called the Civil War. Um, there was also the 1920s. There was the Depression area era rather. Um, There was World War II and plenty of people were, you know, pacifists there. So you can sort of go down the the, the list. Wait, you stopped way too soon. How about literal separations when we have two different water fountains, one for whites, one for non-whites, different, you know, I don't actually, I don't even think there were different hotel rooms. I think you just only had white hotel rooms. You know, you had different places, you know, places on the bus you could sit, like literal divide in our lifetime. 
Yeah. Not our, even not my lifetime, even being old, but my parents' lifetime, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, like people used to need a book to know where to avoid and where they could get a bite to eat or stay overnight to travel through the South. So you're absolutely right. It's, you know, the whole idea of we're more divided than ever. I never bought into what I do think is that. Well, and it's still, you know, that still exists in some States. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I, as a person of color, I'm not sure I would just stop wherever in Mississippi, for example. And never stop in Mississippi, but different conversations. I used to live in New Orleans for those of you who don't know. So I've driven through Mississippi quite, quite, quite a bit. Um, but what, what I do think we, we are in danger of going back to is an era to where there is an inherent level of violence within our politics. Um, that is not new to the American landscape either, but from a contemporary standpoint, we've done a relatively good job over the past few decades of, you know, Congress people not killing other Congress people, of, you know, people sitting in office not being assassinated, though there was the attempt on Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, I think that was in 2010. Um, and I never forget, and I actually wrote a piece on this www.relentless.love um, when Trump left office. Um, Nikki Haley, who is the former governor of South Carolina, talked about uh, in 20, I believe it was 2016, when there was the um, there was the there were the murders of the parishioners in Charleston, South Carolina. And in direct response to that, she uh, said something along the lines of, "I know." what rhetoric like that can do. And she was referring to something the former president uh, not just said, but his pattern of speech um, throughout his campaign in 2016. Um, and then what later happened was she ended up taking uh, the position as ambassador of the United Nations. I'm sure her intentions were great, but I, I, I bring that up to say, rhetoric matters in politics. And it's one thing to call progressives, you know, Libbers and use language like Phyllis Schlafly uh, and Barry Goldwater and Ronald Reagan. That, 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 that's one thing. It's another to have people who are in office um, directly demonizing and attempting, not attempting, intentionally uh, trying to take away the humanity of other members of Congress, of other folks in office. And, and I think this is one of the stinging indictments of the Obama era that catapulted under Trump is that it became easy, okay, endorsed to talk about the commander in chief in ways that he had never been spoken about before, maybe since Abraham Lincoln, because he was black. And I think what that did, you followed that up with a woman as the um, nominee for president of the other party. And so I've, I think it's created a perfect storm since then that has, for lack of a better term, trickled down to our entire politics, is that here's this opposition party who continues to put up, with the exception of this year, but the damage is done, who continue to put up these people for president that we consider other. Uh, you got a black guy and you got a woman. And I, I, I think those things have subconsciously allowed those folks to think that their speech is okay and getting more and more violent because they're threatening our way of life. Uh, that is definitely concerning. And I think we have to, you know, be cognizant of addressing that. But to that point, Monmouth University just uh, released some more information. I mean, a, a poll, and this gets into 
what's the future of the Republican Party and who do they want to be? Because right now they are a fringe domestic terrorist insurrectionist organization. Period. Uh, and 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 I you can say, oh, not all of them agree with that. And ten Republicans voted for impeachment. And yes, but it's not generalizations when the overwhelming majority of people who are elected to represent this entity um, have explicitly come out and said they are against and or in support of something. There were hundreds, most of Republicans in the House voted not to impeach uh, the former president. And so therefore that is, that is you affirming that you don't think anything was done wrong, period. I mean, there's no other way to sort of, you know, characterize that. Um, New data out shows that even you didn't think that he did enough wrong. Enough wrong. There you go. Um, even Republicans have domestic terror as their number one issue right now in America. Uh, so for Americans overall, uh, COVID is number one. Domestic terrorism is number two. Jobs and unemployment is number three. For Democrats, it's COVID, domestic terrorism, healthcare. Republicans don't seem to care about COVID because it's not in their top three. They care about domestic terrorism, but then this is funny because second is election laws and voting access, and third is quote unquote law and order. Here's here's the thing, and this is what I think. This is what we need more than anything else to get this country back on track. There is no sense of empathy amongst partisan Republicans right now. It takes them personally being affected by something to think that it needs to change. And when you have a country, when you when you've got any. You've got 48% of people, roughly, who are either unwilling or incapable to recognize something is wrong if it doesn't directly infect them, or something is a problem if it doesn't directly infect them. Your hopes and prospects for the future are not very high. And so the one thing I want to draw out from that is that your main issue is domestic terrorism, but your third in law is law and order. And I think what they are finally coming around to is that this, what used to be this fringe wing of the party, right? We would think about it from Waco, from Ruby Ridge in the early 90s, so on and so forth, Bundyville. We would think about those things. And this is a fringe aspect of the party. It's, it's, it doesn't represent most of us. It's not in the mainstream. And what we've seen now in the last four years, particularly in the last few months, is that, yes, it is. This does seem to be the root of the party. And people can say, this isn't most of the party. We looked at the data, so on and so forth. The reality is- It's complicity. It's when you let the tail exactly. wag the dog, you are complicit in what is being said. And it does become what, you know, it's the whole, oh, I'm not racist if I voted for Trump. Yeah, you are. Because you're empowering somebody who is racist. It's being anti-racist is apparently not important enough to you <laughs> to not vote for the racist. Yeah, I, I think what they're starting to find is that there is there is no limit. There's no affinity that will protect you from people who have these fringe um, outright domestic terrorist beliefs and ideologies. Uh, Timothy McVeigh did not just kill Republicans or federal officials. Uh, Eric Rudolph did not aim to just kill Republicans or federal officials. And so the domestic terrorism is less about uh, I, I think what people have previously thought, honestly, is that people who think like that, they're only concerned about uh, addressing and putting fear and stoking violence against leftists, against people of color, so on and so forth, honestly. And that's been their justification uh, for not feeling like this is an issue. Uh, 
uh, yeah, that's 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 wrong. But we've got law enforcement; they'll handle that. They'll protect those women, those people of color. And I think what they're finding is that no, they don't have a limitation to this. It doesn't matter what your affinity is if you don't agree with their extreme ideology. Not you. You can be a moderate Republican, and if well, you they went after Mitt Romney. Exactly. For exactly that reason. Even after their own vice president pitch, who is not a moderate. Right. But he just simply did not ag- fall with them on this one. Because he read the Constitution. Right. And and and, and that's what you're seeing. And, and and that is probably the most fearful aspect of this. And so I'll wrap my point up with this is th- the challenge is obviously Republicans have to figure out what kind of party they want to be. Uh, and, and, and what direction they want to go in. But the challenge even with that is that even if you commit to some sensible future moving forward, right, you're going to go more, you're going to be more Mitt Romney, you're going to be more John McCain, the damage is already done. In the form See, of here's the thing. I don't think it's going to go that way. No, I don't think so either. I'm just saying in the form of rhetoric. Because and the, the thing of- is, you know, you've got this, you know, let's say 50 room, room of 50 Republicans, right? Almost from the Senate. you got 50 of them sitting there. How many of them you know, are supporting the insurrectionists. I would wager a case it's probably really actually not that many. You know, so let's say it's, let's say it's 10, let's say it's 20, whatever it is. You have the majority of Republicans sitting there saying, your insurrection, you try to overthrow the government is not as bad as us losing power. That's the message. That's the problem because the Republican Party aren't throwing out the bad apples. So now the bad apples are spoiling the whole bunch. So you don't have Republicans in the Senate that anybody can work with because they go back and they still deal with the insurrectionists and they still bring that in and they still have to pacify them so that they stay in their, you know, in their party and they don't break away, you know, or anything like that. I mean, we've seen it, we saw it a little bit with Tea Party, right? Where they where they kind of were pushing the Republican Party to move further right. And I would say they they accomplished their goal. The Republican Party moved further right, you know, as a result of Tea Party actions. But until you throw out that group of people, even if it was two, let's say it was two, right? Because the Republican Party can't afford to lose anybody because they have a tie right now. Even if it's two people that are supporting this insurrection, they won't throw out those two people because they are so afraid of losing power themselves. They think there's so much more damage that could be done if they don't have, you know, the full 50 or 51, you know, like they would want to eventually, that is worse than overthrowing the entire government. And that, that to me, I don't know how you overcome. Yeah. I mean, even if with their eyes set on 22 or 24, even if they made a conscious decision to say, hey, we do want to pivot more to the center, more to, more to being moderates. I think I, I am, you know, less pessimistic on the future of this country for that very reason, because of what's been permitted to happen over the past few years. And so if they do take up the mantle of a, of a, of a Mitt Romney or, you know, Mike Pence or whatever, the damage is done by way of the rhetoric that's been uh, permitted to take place by way of the insurrection, by way of, you know, extremist judges, by way of an extremely conservative Supreme Court, by way of fast tracking a Supreme Court justice confirmation uh, when the election had already started, I can't stand, I, I hate that people say, oh, we have an election, so that they were saying it when the process, was, no, the election, millions of people had already voted when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. And, and I don't even think that's been enough of a point. The election had already started 
and they cram through. And so therefore, I think what happens with Democrats is that there can't be any sense of unity. There can't be any sense of healing. There can't be any sense of reaching across the aisle because then you are playing on an unfair playing field for the next three or four decades. Because what has taken place over the last four or five years is stuff that was already set us back forever. And so you can't have the extremism from one side that has taken place. And then the opposition party say, okay, let's go sing Kumbaya and make, and make s'mores and you know see how we can figure out how to come together. Because then you're doing a disservice to your base. You're doing a disservice to your values. You're doing a disservice to your people. And so by virtue of what has been permitted to happen, Democrats have to be fighters. They have to be forceful. They have to uh, be incredibly committed to doing whatever it is they can within the laws and bounds of the Constitution to move things forward for their base and for the other half of the country because things are so out of whack with what most Americans want because of the extremism and power grabs of the Republicans over the last few years. Uh, and so I think that is within the backdrop of well, what do we expect from our politicians? What do we expect from the future of the GOP? I'm not optimistic about it just because my hope is that Schumer and Pelosi and other Democratic officials recognize that in order to get our country back on some sort of optimistic track, they have to be as aggressive and as forward thinking and as, as much fighters as Trump and McConnell have been over the last four years for Trump and then McConnell for the last decade or so. Um, let's move, I mean, I guess we can end on a, on a positive uh, note because uh, I don't think either of us would have, this Monmouth University poll uh, asked people what their view of the country was. So are you optimistic or pessimistic? And I would say, I would, I would say very, no, I would say pessimistic, not very pessimistic. The only reason I'm pessimistic and not very pessimistic it's because Democrats have all three branches. I mean, not all three branches. They definitely don't have the, um, the judiciary. The judiciary. They have the they have White House, House and Senate for right now. Uh, even that's a different conversation. Um, this weekend we're starting a weekend digest. This weekend I'm really looking forward. Uh, I've been waiting for a very long time uh, for the film being released tomorrow, uh, which is February 12th. So you probably will probably hear this on the day of. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah comes out in theaters and on HBO Max. I am definitely not going to theaters, but I do have HBO Max. So I'll be watching it there. I think the film was supposed to come out last August. Uh, if y'all don't know, I'm, I'm a pretty big film uh, buff. I think you can probably discern that by a way that I call them films instead of movies. But anyway, um, and, and one of the things I just want to highlight is sort of this like Black film uh, renaissance. And you know, I, I wrote about this and this will be up on uh, Relentless.Love tomorrow too is that I am encouraged that at least so far in the early stages of this decade, there, there are being a, a wide array of holistic films being made uh, that focus on sort of the black experience in America, right? I think the last decade was discouraging in some ways because yeah, there were you know, black films that won best picture or whatnot, but it was 12 years of slave. It was Green Book. It was Moonlight. And all of those films are great. I particularly enjoyed Moonlight, you know, directed by Barry Jenkins. But even in that, there was a character who uh, was selling drugs. In Green Book, it was about this, you know, black guy who uh, had to come back to Jim Crow South and had this white savior. 12 Years a Slave speaks for itself. Uh, and so what I'm most excited about, you know, is, is yes, Judas and the Black Messiah, but Malcolm and Marie, United States versus Billie Holiday, Sylvie's Love, I can go down the list. You're seeing a wide array of Black portrayal in film because 
Students in the Black Messiah, the story of Fred Hampton's state sanction assassination. Uh, it's not a joyous, you know, story per se, but I am happy to see there is a wide gamut. There is a holistic nature of Black cinema right now and how Black people are being portrayed in film. You're seeing them as regular everyday people. You're seeing them as folks as who fall in love and live heavily ever, happily ever after. Uh, and then you're also getting uh, a dramatized but less watered down view of some of the political and sociological struggles of black people too. And I'm encouraged that those stories are being told um, more truthfully now uh, and sort of in a holistic nature. So that's what I'm looking forward to this weekend. Judas and the Black Messiah, but also just other films. Watch Promising Young Woman if you have it. It goes well with our conversation. So I'm going to be a cat, intentionally. Okay. Well, <laughs> I guess you're going to hang out with our cats. That's our show. Uh, <laughs> no, that's why, you know, I have, I feel for the man who turned himself into a cat on the Zoom video um, for the court hearing. I have had a cat join me when I'm in court as well. So this is my homage to the, what is currently going on. Um, and I guess in our pop culture, whatever the, our little feel good video, um, which as somebody noted was not the strangest thing that an attorney did this week. Oh, wow. <laughs> Um, because, you know, you have all of the Trump attorneys and former Trump attorneys uh, not being very, um, trying to think of the right word for it, um, not, not really following the law. Professional? Ethical? Ethical. I mean, there are just so many reasons or so many words for it, but yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was, that was entertaining. Um, but yes, so... I don't know what I'm looking forward to. Like there's a lot of snow coming and I don't look forward to that at all. Um, but I do look forward to the joy that my children have going out in the snow that yeah. I can watch from my window where it's warm with my hot chocolate. Um, and I can, you know, I'm, I'm actually working on my yoga teacher training. So I hopefully will finish that up within the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Cause clearly I have time for that. We have a lot to look forward to. Yoga yes. No? I mean. So yeah, so they can they can go out and be, you know, in the snow and I will do some yoga inside and be able to further help my yoga student students. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Well, crazy cat lady, you are an inspiration to us all. Um, so you stay safe and warm out here. Have some hot chocolate bombs for me. Um, and we will see, hear you all in the base next week. Take care, be safe, don't get COVID.